Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we have the rare privilege this year of celebrating All Souls Day on a Sunday, giving us perhaps a chance to think more deeply about this great feast day. What is it, by the way, about these opening days of November that seem to complement so neatly the remembrance of our beloved dead? It's as though the weather seems to conspire with us to produce a, a mystical consciousness, a sense of this haunting other world. All souls. Why do we speak of souls at all? Haven't we turned from this language? Afraid in recent years of its dualistic overtones? Aren't we perhaps afraid that this language of soul is a holdover from a more primitive time? Don't a lot of us think deep down that, you know, everything that goes on in us is simply a matter of the functioning of the brain and the nervous system? Doesn't matter. Explain everything. Don't we fear at some basic level that at death we just fade away as the body fades away. What is the soul? Why do we speak of the soul? Thomas Aquinas said, the soul is the form. He meant the animating energy of the body. Thomas specified that our very capacity to entertain abstractions is a proof of the immateriality of the soul. I know that sounds very abstract, but it really isn't. For example, when you grasp that 2 plus 2 equals 4. You have grasped something that is properly eternal, that is beyond space and time. 2 plus 2 equals 4 is true anywhere at any time. There's something eternal about it. Well, what is this capacity in us to grasp these abstractions? That itself, Aquinas said, must be immaterial. It must be linked to the eternal. The contemporary scientist John Polkinghorne, he's a high-level particle physicist. He's also an Anglican priest. He's revived Thomas's idea this way. He said the soul refers to the fundamental pattern of the self, the blueprint for our existence, if you want. This soul, which informs our body even now, is remembered by God after our death and can become the basis for the reconstitution of the self at a higher pitch. We speak, therefore, of the resurrected body, of a spiritualized body. The soul, that form, that pattern, remembered by God, links us to the eternal. Another take on it is from our current Pope, Benedict XVI. When he went under the name of Josef Ratzinger many years ago, he said this, The soul corresponds to our capacity for relationship to God. Look, he says, 
we have a whole range of powers, intellectual and relational. I can relate to ideas and to institutions and to concepts and to persons. But underneath them all, beyond them all, we experience the capacity to know and to love God. But since God's eternal, this power that links us to God's eternity proves to us that we are not simply limited to space and time. It's close to Aquinas' insight, but it's, it's almost more psychologically searching, I think. We know, we feel in our bones, there's something in us that links us to a power that transcends this world. And therefore, in us, there is something even now that transcends this world. That's what we mean by the soul. Think of it now in, in biblical terms. The biblical God announces to Moses that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, those are figures that had passed away many centuries before. But then he says, I am the God of the living. Therefore, those figures though long dead in the earthly sense, are still somehow alive for God. We would say the souls of these figures perdure, they endure, even after their bodies have faded away. And so we speak readily and happily of souls, of the enduring existence of those who have gone before us into death. That's why in our first reading, this lyrical passage from the book of wisdom, we hear this. The souls of the just are in the hand of God. They seemed in the view of the foolish to be dead, and they're going forth from us utter destruction. That's good, isn't it? The foolish here are those who are tempted to see death simply as the end. Now I know there's been a revival of this in recent years. In biblical language, that's just foolishness. No, no, there's something in us that is more than space and time, that's more than these bodies that fade away. Something in us rebels against the idea that we simply pass away. This is why Jesus in the Gospel speaks so readily of eternal life. Listen. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I will raise Him on the last day. As you know, there was a great debate in Jesus' time within Judaism itself regarding this question of eternal life. Many, including the Sadducee party, we hear of them in the Gospels, denied the idea of life after death. Now, to be fair to them, there's a lot of warrant for that in the Bible itself. If you look through the Old Testament, there are a lot of passages that seem to indicate the dead just fade away, or at the very best, go to this shadowy realm, Sheol. But many texts just seem to indicate the body goes into the ground and, and it fades away. So that was an opinion within Judaism, even in Jesus' time. Others, though, including the Pharisees, affirmed life after death. They affirmed eternal life. Where does Jesus come down? Clearly here on the side of those who affirm it. And what's most important for us, his own resurrection from the dead 
affirm this belief as emphatically as possible. That, I think, is really basic in the Gospels, that this debate about is there life after death is, is resolved, not theoretically, but very practically, very pragmatically, through Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. Now, so far, so theoretical. But this feast day reminds us that this theoretical insight has enormously important practical consequences. Namely what? That we are related still to those who have gone before us. Let me say it again. That's not the importance of this day practically. We are related still to those who have gone before us. They are, in a very real sense, gone. Which is to say, they're not available to us in the ordinary manner. Those who have died have passed beyond this world, that's true. But they've not disappeared. They are connected to God, and therefore to everything that God loves. Our beloved dead are connected to God living in the eternal realm of God, and therefore connected to everything that God loves. Think of it this way. They're not so much somewhere else, like someone that's gone on a long journey, somewhere else in the world or somewhere else in the universe. Rather, they are somehow else. They exist now in a different way. And thus, they can relate to us, perhaps in very intimate ways. See, we tend to think of, of the dead in these spatial terms. They're a long way away. I'm suggesting that's maybe not the best way to think about it. If I can use more technical language, they're in a different dimensional system. So we know our world of space and time and, and, uh, and material things and what's measurable and visible. That's the world that we're used to. The dead existing in the eternal realm of God are somehow else existing in a different dimensional system, and therefore, listen, maybe even closer to us than they were when they were alive in this world. And thus we can and should relate to them. How? Above all, I'd say, chiefly by means of prayer, just as we can ask people here below to pray for us and we can offer our prayers for them, so we can communicate with our beloved dead through prayer. And here I want to introduce perhaps a delicate point. Though we sometimes tend to canonize people after their death, seeing and remembering only what was good about them, well, we all know that the dead were not perfect, that they stand in need of purification before they can come fully into the presence of God. And so we pray for the dead. Especially on this day of all souls, remember that teaching of the church regarding purgatory. What is purgatory? But a time of purging, a time of purification. Those who are destined to live fully and eternally with God still need to be purified of the dross of sin. We all know that. How sin, even forgiven, still clings to us in a certain way. It still affected us physically, psychologically, spiritually. Many die with these effects of sin on them. What's purgatory but a kind of burning away or purging away 
Can we pray for those as they endure this process? Sure, we should. Of course we should. Don't think of purgatory, by the way, as God's arbitrary punishment, but rather as a gradual and painful adjustment to the splendor of God's way of being. I might have used this image before, but uh, the person coming out of a deep mine, let's say he's been trapped there for several days, you can't bring that person directly into the bright sunlight. It would be overwhelming, shocking. No, you gradually... And with pain, bring that person from deep darkness into light. So someone who's died still in sin with the effect of sin is not ready to come in the full glare of God's light, but must be purged. Or think of someone who's been sunk in sin for many years, suddenly brought to live with Mother Teresa's sisters in Calcutta and to share their life utterly. Would that be a source of great joy? No, on the contrary, it would be terrible pain. Someone would have to be purified, prepared to come into the beauty and brilliance of that light. So those that pass through purgatory, those for whom we pray. And so on this feast day of all souls, remember the importance of the soul, of eternal life, of the perdurance of those we love who've gone before us marked with the sign of faith, those to whom in God we are still connected and those for whom we should still pray. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.